Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Good to see everybody here. Thanks, everybody, for being here. If you're watching this video right now, it's because uh, you caught a, a live and unedited version of something we call the EquipCast uh, here from the Archdiocese of Omaha. Uh, so today is is May 8th, and I think this is EquipCast number 13. I'm Father Jeff Lorig, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Jansen, the Director of Evangelization and Catechesis. If you're, uh, if you're on live with us today, we want to encourage you to use the chat room as much as possible, uh, ask questions, make comments, uh, meet some new people. Uh, if there's somebody in there you haven't seen in a while, you say, hey, Rachel, hey, Colleen, whatever you want to do. Uh, so we love it when you ask a question. Uh, it's not just fun to kind of be part of this community. Um, but it also helps shape the conversation that Jim and I ha are, are having and, and uh, I'm really just having with you as well. So you're part of the conversation. Uh, we'd also love it uh, if you could, if you want, you can just say which parish you're from. Let us know where you're from, what parish. I know uh, Jen Moger's on there, but she is not uh, dialing in from, from Omaha today. I think she's out at uh, St. Teresa's in Clearwater. So, mm -hmm. um, so we got a uh, St. Columkill. Um, I'm, Let's see a few other names pop in here. St. Columkill and St. Mary's Bellevue. Wonderful. Bonaventure in Columbus, Pius X, Omaha, St. Vincent de Paul. Wow. This is, I think, the fulfillment of the Archbishop's dream and plan of a vision of a one church, just all mm -hmm. kind of gathering here. It's one of been one of the graces of, of, uh, this whole pandemic is we've used technology to kind of gather ourselves into one hub. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's been, it's been nice. We got Stephen the Martyr and St. Wenceslaus. So again, thanks everybody for being here. If you want, uh, again, use the chat room as much as you want, ask questions. It does shape our conversation. There's our lady Guadalupe, Mariana, Flores, Chavez uh, from just down the hall here. Uh, so if, if, you know, if, if ever in the future you're not able to join us live, you can always subscribe to the podcast. This is a real official podcast now. You can just search, search uh, EquipCast. It's just one word, EquipCast, uh, on your preferred podcasting platform. Uh, if you want to get a little crazy, you can leave us a comment and uh, give us a shout out. That would be fine. You don't have to. Um, but uh, if you find this stuff helpful and you think, oh, I wish more people would discover this, then go ahead and leave a comment for us uh, on your, uh, your preferred podcasting platform. So you will never miss an update of what, uh, what's going on here with the pastoral services of the Archdiocese of Omaha if you subscribe to the podcast, but also you can subscribe to our blog, which is at equip.archomaha.org. And you actually, after the end of this, uh, probably on Monday, Whitney, our producer, Whitney Bradley, our producer will uh, post. Hey, Whitney. Yeah, thanks, Whitney, for all that she does to help um, make this thing happen. She'll post the show notes, like all the references that Jim and I make, and maybe even give it a little outline of what we talked about. Uh, she'll put that uh, on the equip.archomaha.org site uh, probably Monday or Tuesday. Uh, maybe even tonight. I don't know if she gets crazy. So again, I want to thank uh, Whitney for, for kind of pulling everything together. So without much further ado, we should talk about some myths of evangelization. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, first of all, it's, it is a sort of a buzzword, evangelization. It's the new oh, word. Totally. Yep. And if you're, uh, it's sort of new for us in the Catholic Church. I remember talking to somebody trying to explain the new evangelization, and they had trouble pronouncing it, let alone like, knowing what <laughs> 
evangelization because yeah. it's it feels like it's like all these other things and we maybe we have some misconceptions of it so i always say like most catholics who are kind of baby boomers or maybe even gen xers or, or ahead of that um we uh we we're we have a certain idea of what evangelization is and, and we don't like it. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't like it. But the, the reality is, is that, uh, um, that one person uh, that joins the Catholic church as, as if one person joins the Catholic church, six people are leaving. Um, that's real mm-hmm. data. That's kind of the brutal reality we're in. And, and I would like to make the case that one of the things we've forgotten is our identity. We forgot mm-hmm. who we are and essentially our identity, our vocation, our purpose is to evangelize, not just know how to say it, but know how to do it. And in order to do it, you have to sort of get rid of and destroy all those myths that sometimes we believe in. Uh, so tell me more about this buzzword you keep hearing about Jim Jansen. You're sort of the mm-hmm. expert on this. You're like the director of evangel. You must do a lot of evangelizing. Oh yeah. Nothing but street corners. Although it actually is kind of funny. People are like, Oh wow. So do you stand on street corners and, and, uh, and like evangelize people? I'm like, well, yes, but only because I'm an extrovert and not necessarily because it's on my business card. Literally um, people here in the office have asked you if that's what you do. Yes. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact. And I mean, yes, I will, you know, I'm an extrovert. I'll, I'll talk to, I'll talk to, uh, anybody at, at any time about anything. Um, but I, Father, I mean, I loved your intro there. Like, I remember, you know, my days as a college uh, missionary, I, when I was first, you know, telling people that I was going out and I was going to evangelize, I mean, eyebrows would go up and it's like, are you, sh- are you sure? Okay, does the bishop know? Is this all right? And I mean, there was just this, it was not a part of Catholic culture. And praise God for, I think, the shift that has taken place in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years, where now it's kind of a cool word. To, to say as a Catholic, uh, the, the problem is we don't always mean the same thing. So I thought it'd be really helpful if we kind of talked about like, okay, what do we mean by evangelization? And maybe just like go through, like there's some myths uh, to what evangelization is. And uh, I think we can kind of get to the heart of it if we can explode those. So um, let's take a crack here. So myth number one, it's all evangelization. And what I mean by that is like, Everything we do, everything our parish does, the craft fair, yeah, that's evangelization, and the spaghetti dinner, and the, like, and just like everything we do, some, sometimes because evangelization is understandably um, center stage. I mean, it is kind of like our core, right? Like Paul the Sixth said, like the church exists to ev- to evangelize. It's our deepest identity. So at some level, it might make sense that we would, uh, that everything would be evangelization. That, that actually isn't necessarily helpful to, to imagine that everything we do is evangelization. Certainly everything we can do can serve the Lord and everything we do, I mean, the church has a very broad notion of evangelization. Everything from like that kind of wordless witness that we offer our neighbor to sending people, uh, commissioning them for their own kind of personal mission, that whole spectrum can be evangelization. But if we were going to zero in on one maybe irreplaceable moment of evangelization, that would be proclamation. That, that the core of evangelism, and this is, I'll like maybe digress here. Like this is a big conversion point for me because like literally – when, you know, I, I said, like I was, well, when I was doing college ministry, I, I told people that I was going to be evangelizing. Um, that is not what I thought I was signing up for. 
And I distinctly remember one of my roommates uh, telling me, it's like, what? You're not going to be one of those people walking around talking about Jesus, are you? And I was so offended at the thought that I actually punched him. Um, in the arm? Which, uh, no. I wasn't good aim, so I don't think I actually got him squarely in the jaw. But I, I mean, we're friends to, to this oh, day. Okay. He was in my wedding. Great man. God bless Dave Webman. <laughs> uh, love you, Dave. But like, I like punched him because I was so offended at the thought. Um, and that's actually not a bad job description, right? Of somebody who has missionary on their business card walking around talking about Jesus. But I was part of that kind of, um, you know, I was raised Catholic and I was raised faithfully Catholic, but evangelization was not part of my, my self-identity as a Catholic. And it was really my time as a missionary. Um, and it was my uh, studies as a, as a grad student when I was studying theology it was the words of John Paul II. He, he said, um, of all the things, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but in Redemptoris Missio, of all the things that we do that prepare the heart uh, and all the things for someone for conversion, all the things that we do afterwards to help them mature as disciples, the moment, the hinge on which all evangelization turns is a clear proclamation of the gospel. So you're saying the great line from St. Francis of Assisi that we need to preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. What you're saying is true. First of all, we're not quite sure he said it, but you're saying that it's not, it's not true. It's a half myth. In fact, you're saying, yes, of course we need to be good witnesses. Nobody will ever believe us what we have to say unless we're, we actually are living it. So you have to be a good witness. But you're oh, saying yeah. at the heart of evangelization is we have to proclaim the gospel with words. Yeah. Not with our lives, but also with words. With words. I mean, John Paul II, the same thing. He said, there is no, it is not evangelization if we're not talking about the life, death, resurrection, and promises of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just not evangelization if we're not doing those things. Um, what, what would be some practical consequences for okay, oh if it's God. all words and, and you got to talk about Jesus wherever you go? I'm not actually comfortable with that because uh, I don't talk about Jesus when I go to the store. Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's not necessarily. So there is like this, this idea that how we share the gospel, it, it matters where someone is at in their personal journey. Um, and it matters what kind of relationship we have with them. So um, some people have this extraordinary gift where they, they seem to be able to, you know, talk about Jesus very naturally in the checkout line. Um, that's not, that's, I'm in an extrovert, but I'm not like that kind of an extrovert. Um, I think one of the practical consequences, and I'm thinking about, right, for like our DRE friends and youth ministers, um, anybody who has the task, a teacher, if you have the task of catechizing young people, right, teaching them about the faith. And let's say, hypothetically, they seem a little uninterested, right? They, they, they seem kind of disengaged. They're not, right? they're not like, it's like, oh, they're not as into it as I would think. Maybe it's because we've missed a step of evangelization. So super practical, like, like if they don't want it, something's missing. Or put teaching, enough, so an example, I'm sorry, uh, like uh, teaching them the seven sacraments or something like that, like all good stuff. But yeah. I, I've sat in that classroom before, sat in it, and I've also taught in it. Yeah, and, uh, I've been on both sides. Yeah. yeah, so I know that I was bored by it, and then I was even bored teaching it because nobody was interested in it at all. I was trying yeah. to feed them something they were not hungry for because I, I was teaching them about something that wasn't really relevant. Something hadn't happened yet. 
This has yeah. been a huge frustration for me, quite honestly. This was a huge, so like, I mean, I, I think some of you, you know, so, some folks have heard this story, but my lovely wife um, grew up in Texas and she did competitive jump roping as a, uh, as her like, her sport, which I didn't even know competitive jump roping was a thing. Um, and I certainly didn't have any interest in it whatsoever until I met her. But when I met her and I fell in love, suddenly I was very interested in competitive jump roping. And, and I think that's kind of like all of the, well, I mean, okay, I was kind of interested in competitive jump roping, but I was really interested in her. And that actually helped make competitive jump roping interesting, right, by association. And that's kind of like even the most, like, the most mundane things about our faith take on like uh, they're attractive and they're powerful when they're an, they're an overflow of a relationship that we found with the Lord. Um, and oftentimes we're trying to offer people information about someone that they either haven't met or don't know well enough to care yet. So at the heart of the gospel, so if evangelization is really about proclaiming the gospel yeah. uh that's four books um that's uh right. yeah that's a lot of words yeah so what do you mean <laughs> by sharing the gospel the gospel well so there's a kind of a, a geeky uh word that sometimes right like church insiders throw around called kerygma um it's just greek for preaching but what it came to kind of represent was that core message that the apostles preached. Like when they went out and they shared the good news with someone, when they shared, right, when they preached, what did they say? Um, and there isn't one formula. Um, if you look through the gospels, if you look through church documents, there isn't one formula. But as you, as you start to like sift out the scriptures, there are some major themes that show up every single time someone stands up, a saint, or a biblical figure to share the gospel. Um, and there's a number of models that people use. I like something called the four R's. Um, it it kind of hits on all the major themes. So R number one, so like pirate R, uh, R number one is relationship. God made us for relationship. And our, our greatest joy and happiness in life is to be in relationship with him and each other. Uh, R number two is ruin. Uh, sin has ruined our relationship with God and each other. And if we don't find a solution, it can uh, keep us isolated for all eternity. Um, third R, restore. Jesus restores our relationship with the Father and with each other. And then finally, respond. This gift that is offered to us uh, in Jesus Everybody has to respond to that. Everybody has to decide, what am I going to do with this proposal that the God of the universe gives to me? I'm still not motivated to evangelize, Jim. I feel like you're catechizing me about evangelization. I am. I am. <laughs> well, tell me about it. How do, you, how do you share the faith? Because I know as a pastor and as a teacher, you love to share the gospel. And it's I, I think it's something you very, very naturally, <laughs> very naturally. How do you do it? We were talking about this earlier. Share a little bit about like how you share the good news with people. Uh, I, um, certainly there are moments when I'm, I'm teaching about the Lord um, and the gospel and what the faith teaches. But when I'm talking about the Lord, um, when I testify or give mm. some testimony, 
it really has to do with my own experience of him. So you know what the like the, the yeah. early apostles, how how would they share it? it? It would be he is risen, he is risen indeed, right? That's what they said. Mm-hmm. And then just like they were just like they knew it. They said it with enthusiasm and like positivity. <laughs> it's like just, they believed it. Like they saw it. Like they knew him when he was dead, and then they saw him when he was alive. He is alive. Yeah. He is risen indeed. He is alive, right? So it was just this this experience of their own relationship their own encounter with jesus being alive and so when i share my faith and i you know it's not like i sit in this i think about i wake up in the morning how am i going to do the four hours relationship ruin how am i going to to me it's more just like here's what he's done for me and uh and i relive that every morning in prayer and uh uh so if if i can answer the question uh what is how's the lord been loving me today and uh, if I can, do I have an answer for that? First of all, that's all evangelization is this sharing. If, if, if ever there's an opening, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity to say, cause you just actually gave me an opening. Well, what has the Lord been doing for me lately? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so in prayer this morning, I just had a, um, a real sense of his desire for me to be, have filial confidence. Mm. So that um, it's just a phrase from Padre Pio, but it, for me, what does it mean? That I am a son and I have a father who, who cares deeply for me and all the worries, all the things I'm trying to accomplish. And this is his father just sweeps me up in his arms and, and is taking care of all the things I have to think I have to accomplish. Um, that's what my relationship with God has been like uh, recently. This is this morning. Um, yeah. And I would hope when I say that, um, so I, you know, I don't have any natural ability to woo people or, you know, mm-hmm. be share my enthusiasm. You know, like, you know, like mm-hmm. some people have some of those natural gifts. I don't. That's just raw. Like, this is what it's been like to be um, in the father's gaze, just being a child, to be a mm-hmm. son and, and knowing he's taking care of me of all the stuff I'm worried about and things I got to manage. And um, so that's kind of how I do it is I, I begin, uh, if somebody asks, I I start almost like contemplating the heart of the father as I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. And so if you've heard me talk some days, you have, uh, mm-hmm. and you always make fun of me. Uh, like, so I'll talk about my, like <laughs> Not always. the heart of Jesus or the heart of the father that's pouring himself out and undeservedly to me. Um, yeah. I often will get choked up and you'll say, Oh, it's better when you cry, father. <laughs> it's so much more effective. <laughs> and like, I can't help it. Um, because it's real to me. Um, well, yeah. and you know what? I mean, you can make fun of me back, but sometimes I start weeping with you because mm-hmm. like when I, I heard somebody, um, Father Paul Hazing, Archdiocese of Omaha, Kenrick Seminary, uh, talked about this experience where he saw this, um, this like, you know, Italian kind of like cheese expert talking about like fine Parmesan. And like, as he was talking about this, like, mm-hmm fine parmesan and describing it you could almost start to taste it and experience it as he did and i think that that's what happens to me when you share about what god is doing in your life and i think that's, i think that's that's the heart of every good uh of every good testimony or when, when somebody's talking about what the lord has done in their life saying the name of jesus i mean it is a it's a prayer and it begins to make him present and people get to experience what, what we have experienced. Um, and that's the heart of it, right? We, we've had this encounter and we can't, we can't not share it. 
Um, that's the best part of the gospels. Every time, not every time, but most of the time when Jesus heals somebody, at least early on in his ministry, he's like, Shh, okay, like don't tell anybody. And it never works. They can't, they can't keep themselves from telling people about it because they've had such a powerful experience. Yeah. So in, in, to sum up your four R's, it's, I have a relationship with Jesus. He, he wants it. He desires it. He, he, I know that's what he wants for me and I often ruin it and he continues mm-hmm. to restore it. Like just surprising me with his mercy almost on a regular basis. Why, why would yeah. you be so good to me? Uh, you're mm-hmm. so good to me. And, uh, and then respond to say, why are you so good to me? I'm so grateful for you. Um, that's it. So just sharing that little story. That's the four hours. It's, it's not so much you're sharing the gospel out there. You're sharing the gospel. That's, that's already alive within you. So at yeah. the heart of it. So we, yeah, we say like, uh, uh, Diane, uh, Kiter is just saying, totally agree with, with you. Like being genuine is, is a, genuine is, is a requirement. Um, <laughs> Who knew? and genuine about the real relationship, um, that's happening between you and the Lord. How's the Lord been loving you today? And you know, if, if you're living in that every day, then you'll always mm-hmm. have an answer to if, if ever there, it comes up when somebody asks, uh, mm-hmm. I do think it's, it's hard uh, just to bring up Jesus in a conversation, huh? It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, how would you do that father? Cause I mean, I know there's obviously a fine line between like, you don't want to be pushy, but sometimes you get the sense that the Lord is inviting you to take a conversation deeper. How would you do that? So I want to tell in you in a natural uh, way. I think the Lord has been, uh, I think he's been obviously very, uh, generous in, in helping us with this podcast. So this morning I was reading, no, I was listening to a podcast and this guy gets on, he's a, he's a pastor and he's really successful and, you know, just tremendous growth in his church. It's like, I want that. Uh, and he said, you know, you, my, me and my wife, we use a book called the uh, sharing Jesus without fear by William Fay and Linda Evans. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what Jim and I are going to talk about today. Uh, sharing Jesus without fear. Well, like, so I, I just looked up, I Googled it, like, Sharing Jesus Without Fear Summary, PDF. <laughs> so then I found it. And, and in the book, he ta- he, there's um, he, what he calls uh, conversation joggers. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be totally awkward to like, hey, did you know I want to tell you about my relationship with Jesus? Like, is, like oh, get away from me, weirdo. It's the best way. I mean, now it's easy, but it used to be the best way to get your own row in an airline. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, good. I'm glad you're right. here. Not hard now. Do you want to talk about you? Yeah, now it's like, yeah, I want to talk about Jesus. No, it, it, and I also think it would be hard if you lived in town. I was, I think about like uh, uh, my old parish in Creighton. Like everybody knows you. They know you go to church. You know you're the Jesus person. Oh, yeah. How do you, how do you even bring this up? Like maybe you have a few beers and you finally get into a conversation. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but obviously it's going to begin with a relationship, but it doesn't have to take much of a relationship to ask these five jogger conversation mm-hmm. questions. So the first question is, again, have a relationship first, but you can just ask somebody in general, like, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, because you're showing interest in somebody, people love to talk about themselves. So oh, let, yeah. do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Uh, another question, number two would be uh, to you, who is Jesus Christ? So you're not preaching, you're asking. So mm-hmm. because once they start talking, uh, then they'll start, eventually they'll say, well, what about you? Oh, mm-hmm. let me tell you about who Jesus Christ is for me. Another yeah. jogger question would be, do you believe in heaven or hell? So you can sort of see this at a, uh, at a party or something like that. Um, or, uh, or if you're just on a walk or, um, 
you know, you just finally open it. They're, they're easy questions. Uh, another question would be, if you died, where would you go? This is a fun question. Depending on your answer, it yeah. may, not, may not be a fun question. It's a but fun yeah. conversation uh, yeah, that yeah. you could have. Uh, I love it, yeah. It, without being preachy and being weird. Uh, and then the final fifth question, if, if, um, if what you're believing is not true, uh, would you want to know? Hmm. So I, I thought, so this, this pastor actually used it as a, as he got his whole church to read the book and um, the, the whole church sort of bought into it. They went from 200 people to like 2000 people because uh, yeah. the, the, the gospel was unleashed in the people through the people to reach more people. And, uh, and they, you had all these little Christians going out mm-hmm. and asking these questions and then sharing their testimony by asking the question first. So it's a little yeah. tip need not be a pro tip, not a pro tip at all. Mm-hmm. Don't need to, don't need to be Jim Jansen. To yeah. Do. You don't need to, it's, it's yeah. It's like, what, what would we call that? It's not a pro tip. It's like, it's the, it's okay to be an amateur tip. Yeah. So, uh, um, so because you don't have to be a pro, you don't have to be a saint. Um, mm-hmm. Is that another myth? I think it is. Myth yeah. number two. Yeah. So myth number two, this is, this is one of my favorite. This is, if I could summarize this myth, this is like the, we need to renew ourselves first. I got to be a pro. Yeah. Now, sometimes this, this is like a personal right thing. Like I am just not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. Sometimes it's organizational. No, no, no. Our, our parish is a mess. We're going to focus on ourselves first. And there is a half truth there, right? I mean, you can't give what you don't have. So, I mean, at some level, like, yes, we're all called to be saints. We're all called to like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to talk compellingly about a relationship with Jesus when you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but it's a lie to think you have to be a theologian or you have to be right. Like you have to already be a saint in order to share him. Like part of the way Jesus makes us saints is in our going with him, in our sharing on mission. Um, I love, there's this great quote from Pope Francis uh, in uh, The Joy of the Gospel, which is just, I, I just thought it was, a, I thought it was really radical. He says, lengthy training is not required of those who have truly encountered Jesus. I, I feel like that is such a, depending on your perspective, is either really freeing or really frustrating um, right. If you're like the, wait, but I'm in the job of training people for evangelization or making sure that they're qualified. Um, but it, I think ultimately it's freeing because, because like, again, you, you watch the, the gospels, all these people who've encountered the Lord, there's no lengthy training. In fact, Jesus is doing everything he can to try and keep them quiet and he can't do it because they've had this life-changing encounter. I like to think of the, uh, the analogy of ski instruction. Uh, Father Cook and I went on a ski trip along with a bunch of other priests and, and mm-hmm. we were kind of talking about evangelization and, and with using the metaphor of ski instruction because we were all doing ski school that year. And uh, we thought, you know, sometimes it's hard to learn from somebody who skis the blacks. Uh, oh, yeah. If you're on the bunny hill, um, but, if, yeah. but if you're just, if you're on the, maybe you're on the greens, that's enough to share, to, sh- to walk with somebody who's maybe on the bunny hill. So you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have all your, your poop in a group or your, your ducks in a row. Uh, you just need to sort of know how to just be a few steps ahead to be able to evangelize. Yeah. So again, I, I don't, we all need to be renewed. So I think there's, 
there's a there's a lie in there that the, the enemy would would love us to believe like you yeah. know you really don't have this together you you probably shouldn't even try to like who are you like yeah. you're just skiing the greens you can't even why how could you talk about yeah like, that's a lie yeah like, go to hell satan and, well and you know i think part of like maybe like the 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 way to to heal that is part of what it means, I guess, to renew ourselves first is to recognize that our calling as disciples of Jesus always includes mission. Like Jesus never says, come and follow me without also saying, and I will make you fishers of men. Like Jesus, oh, like you can't separate being a disciple and being a missionary. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's one of the misconceptions of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's lots of misconceptions of Vatican too. <laughs> Let me Never. just put this that, one. That's up. an episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a lot of followers on that one. What are they saying in Omaha? Uh, what I I think one of them is it, we tend to think that Vatican II was a it really just talked about the universal call to holiness. That that's yes. what it was. It's a and great, yeah, Lumen Gentium, like absolutely mm-hmm. universal amen, call amen. to holiness. Uh, but that's not the only universal call. It's also a universal call to mission. It was trying right. to reemphasize that as well. And for whatever reason, yeah. forget that the two go together. Like you're saying, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Yeah. You, you really can't, I mean, you can't, sep- you really can't separate them. Um, I mean, that's what, and God bless, right? Pope Francis for, he's like, nah, let us think of ourselves as missionary disciples. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I almost did an accent there. Sorry about that. Yeah, like an Italian. I saw the uh, yeah. I saw I saw your eyebrows go up. See, well, that was fine. It was just a little scary moment, but we're <laughs> good okay. enough for your kids, but not good enough for the the pros. Yeah. Here. So, well, yeah. practically, how would you even do this? Well, I mean, so the practical application of this is when we understand this idea of renewing ourselves, when we understand this idea of maybe re- renewing our parish or our youth ministry, our religious education, whatever. We we never we never imagine that mission is like this secondary end stage part of it. So I'll give you like a just super practical. When we think about prayer, prayer isn't just me and Jesus. Prayer is this time where Jesus gets to open my eyes and change my heart so that I recognize him hiding all through my day in the people that are presented to me. Um, that, that, that prayer has a missional component. And again, I love like Evangelii Gaudium, uh, the joy of the gospel. Like Pope Francis points out that St. Paul's letters, you know, at the end of every letter, and you should understandably so, we don't typically read the end of the letters in mass. It's just like long list. And sometimes in the, in the beginning as well, what long list of all these people, oh, say hi to so-and-so, and I'm praying for so-and-so, and I'm praying for... And, and it's this beautiful image that St. Paul's prayers were full of people. And I, I mean, just my own prayer journey, I sometimes would, I'd be in the middle of, you know, a me and Jesus prayer. And I would, I I'd begin to like begin to think about someone else and have this urge to pray for them. And for, I, for a long time, I'm embarrassed to say, I treated it like a distraction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, can't pray for a widow so-and-so. I'm trying to talk to Jesus. And Jesus is like, um, hello, I'm trying to get your attention. Um, so I think that's just a really practical example. As we think about even something as personal, as intimate, and as me and Jesus as prayer, we're like, no, there's a missional component to that. Yeah. 
Uh, another myth, myth number three. Ooh, myth number three. This is my favorite, and this is the one that may uh, get us the most comments here. Um, myth number three, if we just fix the liturgy, evangelization will come automatically. Here's why I think that's like, now again, there's a, there's a truth here, right? Like the Eucharist, the liturgy is the source and summit of the Christian life. And particularly now, so many of us have this deep longing for our communal celebration of the Eucharist. Um, for so many of us, that, that's been missing for our lives. Um, but um, to quote, right, the, the Catechism, 1072, the liturgy does not exhaust the church's activities. It must be preceded by evangelization and catechesis. So I want to... I'm going to make a counter argument that that would be a myth that, that kind of falls into this. I think, uh, don't you think we started really screwing up as a church after Vatican II? Like we sort of lost our way. Didn't we like, actually, I we, think we started sh screwing up as a church right after the original Pentecost, but yeah, probably, but there was a special time of screwing up. <laughs> yes. That, <laughs> that happened. I mean, a lot of our beautiful big churches and amazing, like just like it was Catholic yes. happy land in the fifties. And then everybody. Yeah. Bing and Crosby. Why do, and why do we have to change all that? And it seems like as soon as we change it to English and we soften things up a little bit uh, and the, you know, the liturgy, cause we turned our back on Jesus and we started looking at the people. Yeah. And I still see these arguments today. Like we just mm -hmm. need to, we need to reorient ourselves literally sometimes at mass do the ad orientum. We need to be facing a different way. Um, then when we have right worship, then we'll have like the, the right way of evangelizing. Yeah. So that's like, strong. It's a strong argument. Oh yeah. Well, and it's true at least partially, right? Because I mean, the Eucharist is the source and summit, but I think that argument highlights the Eucharist as the source of the Christian life. For disciples who love the Lord, a beautiful transcendent liturgy where they lay their lives on the altar, unify themselves with the sacrifice on Calvary and with the community around them and go out strengthened anew to engage a world that is at the same time desperate for Christ and hostile to him. Like, yes, the Eucharist is the source of evangelization, but it's also the summit. Meaning evangelization, like the liturgy is kind of like one of the last stages of evangelization. Um, I mean, it's not the end of the journey, but th to put it another way, the mass is inherently an insider's activity. It is only for the initiated. And that's the reason why it's really confusing if you try and bring somebody off the street who doesn't know Jesus, who's never been Catholic. I mean, not only do they not know what their lines are, they don't know when to sit, they don't know when to stand, but they don't, they don't understand what's going on because the mass by its very nature is designed for people who are already disciples. So it's, it's, it's not, we're not saying, you're not saying that we shouldn't restore the liturgy and clean things up a little bit. Oh, that's, please that's do. A, that's a whole different equip cast, maybe with the worship office and Father Hastings, sure yeah. they have, a, have an opinion or two. Uh, that's all good. We're not saying that shouldn't happen, but just saying like that is not the maybe step one for um, remembering who we are as evangelizers. Being yeah. I mean, this, this is what I would say. This is the provocative thing. I, I would say like, 
if you're going to say, well, which comes first, kind of chicken or an, chicken or the egg? Um, I think evangelization it what, is what does the hard work of restoring the liturgy. People who are madly in love with Jesus Christ, those the, it just feels different. I mean, for one, regardless of like the quality of their voices, like they sing because there's a song in their heart, right? Like they're like the reverence and all the things that we desire and those elements that are like kind of like the core essentials to a beautiful communal experience of the Eucharist. That it's not external for them; it's internal for them because they're in love. And so, if I, so if I were a pastor, I would, I would, of course, want to, I would want somewhat of an, an attractional service. I wouldn't want to like, you know, oh yeah, toss out the mass. But I would want, I certainly, if because even though uh, the, the mass is innately hospi- inhospital, it is for the insiders. It is not. Right. It's for the initiated. It's right. not. It's not for the come and see. Right. That's not what the mass is for. But every mass that we have, we have new here people. Yes. I'm new here. I'm new here. I'm new here. And their experience of the church will often be uh, maybe not so much the liturgy. Like uh, it could be like if it's mm-hmm. transcendent and beautiful and, and the, there's a great message, but also just the way they're treated and how they right. felt um, uh, going through it. So it's, yeah. it's not to say that you shouldn't help, help restore the liturgy, help restore the environment that that's, that that maybe a stranger might experience, but it uh, oh, but wouldn't put all my cards it. on it. Yeah, well, and you can't, you can't do, you can't do it with it. With you can't really restore the liturgy without attending to evangelization. Um, I mean, again, I, I think about yeah. There's there's so there's so many stories here, but this is I empathize with you know those who struggle with this because we live in really disorienting times. We live in this kind of time where the age is changing from an age of kind of Christendom and where everybody who claimed the Catholic label, you could kind of assume that they had a relationship with Jesus, that they had been properly initiated. And you just can't assume that anymore. You cannot assume that just because someone has walked through the doors and is sitting in a Catholic church, that they A, know Jesus, or B, that they know any, that they've been properly initiated to this celebration. And that's disorienting. Like, it, it's really confusing to have a group of, you know, it's kind of like if, if I just had strangers regularly showing up at our family dinner. There's some kind of routines and rituals in the Jansen family household for dinner. And if strangers just like, and some of them are cool and some of them, anyway, but like if they, you know, if like if strangers just keep showing up, like, well, that's disorienting. I'm, I'm in the habit of assuming that the people who are there are people who have been invited and who are already part of the family. Um, but that's not the reality we, we live in right now, especially, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, for funerals and weddings, like, man, those are golden opportunities. Talk about a practical, right, practical um, uh, application. Those are golden opportunities where we can demonstrate hospitality and we can proclaim the gospel in a clear uh, way. I mean, when, when people are thinking about those key moments in life, like, um, uh, you know, the beginning of a marriage, like what is love? You know, it's like, man, that's a, it's not too hard to, to jump off uh, from the, the, the moment of a wedding to talk about God's love for us. Um, God's desire to take us to be into his family. Um, and obviously when you think about eternity in a funeral, man, that is a chance to, to evangelize and preach the gospel. 
Yeah, and I think in ha- having right worship can be inspiring, can be a key to evangelization. Yes, uh, it's it, part of St. Augustine's story, right? It's right. part of St. Augustine's story is that he was captivated by the music and the, the beauty of the, the worship. But read the rest of the confessions of his story. There's this community around him, and there is a very clear, explicit proclamation of the gospel. Um, really repeatedly. I mean, he is immersed in the message of the gospel. Um, and it's only after months and years of kind of soaking in that, that he has his famous kind of uh, come to Jesus moment. All right. I think there's, there's just a lot more to talk about. Oh yeah, we could go uh, with this, but uh, we should probably write in with to... your, yeah, write in with your hard questions and comments and maybe we'll do another episode. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to go back. <laughs> Help me. Help me move to myth four. Okay, number four. Number four. Uh, this is this is also one of my favorites. I think it's um, again very pertinent <laughs> for us. Yeah, it's my favorite myth. We're myth, myth busters here. Um, myth number four. It is harder to evangelize in light of the recent scandals in the church. Now, again, I would say I think that's a half truth. Um, I mean, Jesus says right that people will know we are his followers by the love we have for one another, and our gross and ugly failures of love intuitively tell people that we've messed something up in terms of following Jesus. Um, I mean, Jesus also says at the last supper, you know, like, you know, they, they will, um, uh, it's our, right. That he prays that they all, that we all may be one. And our, dis, if our unity helps attract, our disunity seems to repel. So, it's true that something gets more difficult in light of the recent scandals, but here's the deeper truth. Jesus has always been the best reason to be Catholic and Christian. And real evangelization is not about impressing people with our history, our philosophy, our works of charity, right? The beautiful liturgies or anything other than the completely undeserved love that we have received from the father in Christ. Like Jesus is the best part about being Catholic. And I love our philosophy and our music uh, and chant, but I'm not going to lead with that. Right. Cause I just have to be honest. Like, you know, as beautiful as our chant is sometimes most of the time our music stinks. Most of the time our potlucks are cold. And if we're betting on our hey. ability, I'm sorry, I know too close to home. If I'm, if we're betting on our ability to be charming, we are, we are not, we're, we're not leading with our, with our ace. Um, yeah. I, I think that this one's hard to argue with, you know, like there, you know, the Catholic church has Jesus, right? That's, that's why yeah. you want to, uh, so yes, it's, it's, it's hard. It's been hard. I, I bet you it was hard in France during the French revolution. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And yet, what happened after that? Like there's this kind of sort of a springtime of Catholicism. Oh, yeah. Huge, beautiful uh, that, renewal so that nobody, nobody saw, nobody really saw coming. Um, I mean, part, part of it is, you know, we have mistaken, there's this great, so Cardinal Avery Dulles um, had this quote. He wrote a, an article for First Things, and forgive me, right, there's some like big words in here, but he said, he said the problem with evangelization, uh, evangelization uh, in the Catholic Church is that it suffers from an excessive ecclesial centrism. 
which is just a fancy way of saying, we talk too much about ourselves and not enough about Jesus. Yeah, Pope Francis would translate that as self-referentialism. So when, yeah. we, when we talk about, look how great the Catholic Church is, it's self-referential. Like the only light that the church has is because it's the moon, right? So it's the, the luna, the, mis- the mystery of the moon, yeah. the moon he, he, he would talk about. Like, like the moon doesn't have its own light. The moon is, its light comes from a source, the sun. Yeah. So the church, whatever light it has, it's because of Jesus. Yeah, we shouldn't be scandalized by this. I mean, as, as Catholic or so, if it's, just read the Old Testament, read church history. How do we know that we're God's people? Well, God's people seem to like run away from him and screw up and embarrass him time and time again. So it's like, oh, cool. We must be God's people because we're, we're embarrassing our father right now. All right, let's, um, let's go practical here. Like, okay. okay. Uh, it's, I don't need, I can't believe in the excuse that it's, I can't talk about Jesus at the Catholic church or evangelize because of the scandals. So there's always going to be scandals. Um, so practically how, when scandals come up with conversation, what do you do? Yeah. Two things. I'd say, number one, um, say something like this, you know, all those, those things, those recent scandals, like those break my heart, but it hasn't shaken my faith because my faith was never in our faithfulness as God's people, but in his faithfulness to us. Um, or again, I'm a, I'm a dad, six, six kids. Um, you can think of it this way, right? Like childbirth. Um, the head is supposed to come first and, and Jesus is the head and the church is the body. If, if things happen the other way, if the body comes first, like bad things happen, right? Breach birth, not good. Um, if Jesus opens the heart first, the church comes really quickly and really easily. And all the weird idiosyncrasies about God's children, they actually become kind of charming and endearing because when you fall in love with the Lord, you can start to see, even if imperfectly, you can start to see his, his characteristics in his people. Encounter Jesus. I, that's part yeah. of our pastoral vision. Which yeah, is, uh, encountering <laughs> Jesus. Right, that's why it's first. And, and you know, we do talk about one church, but I mean, big debates when we were putting that, that together uh, mm-hmm. five years ago. We want to make sure that Encounter Jesus is, is at the forefront of, of everything that we do uh, for our vision, because everything will flow from that. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It's, uh, when, we, when we put the obligations and traditions and rules of, of the church ahead of Jesus, it's like literally putting the cart before the horse. Um, Jesus is the engine that is supposed to pull the, the rest of the train. I think you're going to get some uh, emails uh, from all the breach babies. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you made it. Way to go. So, okay. <laughs> so myth number five, um, father, this is your favorite. Do you want to, do you want to start us off on myth number five? Myth number five is I just need a program to evangelize. I just need that, that panacea, that perfect program. And I just need that thing that's there. And then, then I'm doing my evangelizing and then that's all I have to worry about. So uh, programs are good, but, uh, they're not going to save the day. So it's, it's only, it's, it's a half truth that you, kind of, you see the, the pattern coming along here that uh, Jim put together. So all these myths, they're, they're partly true, but they're, they're only half true. Um, so okay, praise God, but, right? 
What? But yeah, well, let me cha- let me challenge you. Like, what about what about all those people who would say, "What are you talking about?" Like, this retreat changed my life. Like, this program changed my life. Like, that's how I encountered Jesus. What would you say to that? I'm pretty sure you encountered Jesus, <laughs> right? There's there's a lot of different programs out there where people are encountering Jesus. So these are. I, I'm not against programs, right? I, I want programs to be a part of it. But, but if, if I put, um, you still have to get people to go to the programs. Uh, and at the end of the day, like Jesus is the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember I w- we went to that convocation in Florida and uh, uh, there's one of the speakers was just talking about evangelization. It was a convocation on mm-hmm. the, the new evangelization that the, the bishops put on and, and uh, I just remember Jesse Carey uh, from Pro Sanctity, the Epistock mm-hmm. Oblates. She said, you know, of all the programs that Jesus is the program, we sort of fall in love with these methods and forget that we're supposed to be falling in love with Jesus. So if programs help, great. Um, but Jesus is the program, an encounter with the living God. Um, that's at the heart of, of every, any evangelization program. So programs are just tools. Uh, but so without missionary disciples running it or, mm-hmm. or, or not so much running the, like, again, it's not about running programs. It's about being missionary disciples and you use mm-hmm. the tools that kind of help you to do that, yeah. but don't get married to the tool, you know, mm-hmm. be married to the mission, be the missionary disciple. Yeah. I, I think really practically, right. For those who are, again, you're thinking about like, gosh, how do I, how do I evangelize my neighborhood or my kids or what do we do, you know, in our, in our parish, like at a real practical level, don't start by looking for programs, right? Books or curriculums or, or DVDs. Um, it's not that those don't matter, but start by looking for missionary disciples. Start by looking for people who love Jesus and then give them the tool right, that fits their need. But the best tool uh, in the hands of, of, of someone who doesn't know how to use it doesn't build anything. Um, I mean, you know, some of you have heard my, my personal story. My dad was a carpenter and man, he was awesome with his tools, but he could still build something if you gave him, you know, a, you know some duct tape and bailing wire and a little bit of plywood. You could, you could give me the tools all day long and I, I wouldn't build anything because I, I didn't have the desire and I didn't have the skills. It's, you know, it's not the tools. It's the, it's the, I mean, thank you, Jesus, right? It's the carpenters. It's, it's the missionary disciples. And, and I think as a, in the, at the parish, uh, yeah, find the, find the tool that, that could work. Um, find the people that help help do it. But I often think that if you just have a program sort of on the side, you're kind of missing the point. Like, like, mm-hmm. so besides the fact that Jesus is the program, I like to say that the parish is the program. Yeah. Like if, if I'm on a parish, I might have alpha, but alpha is going to be the thing that the whole parish surrounds itself around. Like, or if I'm, I'm really into Curcio, like this is the, mm-hmm. it's a comprehensive approach. Like we're going to talk about it. It's, we're going to, we're going to preach about it. We're, we're going to help people to enter into these next steps. So it's, it's not just the program. It's the program uh, integrated into a larger program called the parish, this parish yeah. where we encounter Jesus, we equip disciples and we live mercy. Uh, so it's great. I, I'm at a parish right now at St. Cecilia's and I, and I, I love, I love the parish. It's beautiful. We have a lot of awesome things happening and, and we have discovering Christ, uh, which is kind of a 
uh, alpha sort of a, we call it a convergent engine. It's, it's an opportunity for somebody to encounter Jesus. It's an awesome tool. And we have some awesome people running it. And I should say awesome a few more times. Uh, I shouldn't. Um, but it's <laughs> also, it's isolated from the rest of the, the program, sure. the parish. And it sort yeah. of lives on an island. And it could be, it could be so much more um, if we integrated it into uh, our next steps. Uh, or like when we have so many strangers come to cathedral. Like, yeah. oh, if you want to grow in this, you want to encounter Jesus, you want more of this, um, don't forget we got to discover in Christ. Like instead of going up there and, and, and uh, announcing that we have our trivia night is on Thursday night. And don't forget that drink specials are $5. And so it's a not, it's just, it's an adult yeah. night only. So leave your kids at home because kids are annoying. And, and like, those are the freaking announcements that I hear. Uh, don't get me started, Jim, but yeah. I want, I want to say, I don't like, know if I did, but you're going. It's- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not why we're here. Like uh, well, there's so yeah. many straight, like to advertise for our trivia night so we can raise money for this or that. And, and then talk about, well, leave your kids at home um, because it's a drink, you know, we're going to be drinking and we're going to have an adult night. And like, that's what the church is about. Like, no, I want to announce about like, if you want more of what just happened here in the, like you see Jesus on the cross at cathedral and you see him in the gaze of, of the father, like this just, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, I want the, I want the, the discovering Christ to be integrated or the, the next step for a person to be mm-hmm. integrated in everything we do. So if I have marriage prep couples, if I have baptism couples, like, do you, is there a next step for them? The parish is the program uh, in order to, to encounter Jesus, who is the real program. Yeah. I mean, it's, Father, all you're talking about is like for us to rediscover our core identity as, as a church to be missionary, um, like, right, the, the reason we exist is to evangelize, like, that is a major culture shift. And it might be a good start to get an evangelization team or some program started. But that's, that's not, that is not, that's not adequate. I mean, having, you know, having a parish that has a small group of people that run an evangelization program would be like if the army is like, oh yeah, we've got a small group of people. They fight the enemy. I mean, it's just, it's the entirety of the organization has to be, has to rediscover our, our core, our core mission and our reason for existence. Um, yeah. Don't major on the minors, major on the majors. And the major is an encounter with Jesus. So that's why the parish exists. That's why the church exists. Uh, to, to help others encounter Jesus. Um, sorry. Thought so what if we that. offer some, yeah. uh, some questions for reflection here? Okay. Um, so, so just some things to think about. Like, where is the Lord giving you an opportunity to evangelize in, in your, like your current rhythm of life? Whether that's as a mom or someone who works for the church or someone who works right in a secular profession. Like, where is the Lord giving you an opportunity to just share that story of how the Lord has come and found you. And then another question for, for, for reflection is like, what myth seems to be most kind of pervasive in your life? Are, are you like, Oh, I'm just not, I'm just not ready. Uh, or I, I, I gotta have a tool. I gotta have a program. Right. Or I can't, I can't talk to people. I mean, not after, you know, just the scandals. I mean, what are the, what are the things that are holding you up? Uh, in your evangelization. Um, and I might offer this as, a, as maybe a, an encouragement, kind of a, a closing thought of sorts. I really want to encourage us to notice 
the resurrection ministry of Jesus. Right. So during his earthly life, before his death and resurrection, Jesus spends a lot of time healing people, preaching and teaching. And some of that is, is the same. But it seems like in his resurrection, Jesus has really zeroed in on two things. He's zeroed in on coming alongside disciples who are discouraged and recommissioning them. So it starts very early Easter morning with Mary Magdalene. She's clearly distraught, and when he speaks her name, Mary, he, he consoles her, and he says, go, go tell my brothers, right? He sends her on mission. She's referred to as the apostle to the apostles, or you think about the, the discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus. He comes alongside them, and when they have this renewed encounter with him in the word and in the breaking of the bread, they become missionaries and they, they, they run back and they tell everybody. Or maybe the most uh, powerful example is Peter on the beach, right? Peter's like, he's got his own words of, of betrayal and denial echoing in his head. And Jesus encourages him and recommissions him. That's the heart of the, I think, of the ministry of the resurrected Christ. So like, I just encourage, like, let, let Jesus do that for you and join him by encouraging and inviting others back into the mission of evangelization. And don't be discouraged by trivia nights. Yeah. Or craft fairs. Yeah, you were I hard on the craft talked, fairs. I might have talked a little bit too much about craft, <laughs> craft fairs last time. Yeah. Let Jesus come to your side and because uh, that's, that's the heart of it. And, uh, yeah. and you don't have to be perfect at it. Um, and you don't have to be perfect for him to come at your side. Uh, no, so in fact, that. he's a sucker when we're just honest for, uh, I'm broken. He's a sucker for sinners. Yeah. Can't resist us. We should end on that yeah. note. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, uh, Father. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back next week. Same time, uh, same, not the same URL. So uh, go to equip.archoma.org and you'll find... Uh, the new registration link for the next topic, which Whitney and I came up with without your permission, Jim. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, it is going to be on church money. There's nice. an, yeah, an article in the Catholic News Agency this last week or this week that said the church is broke. Uh, <gasps> yeah, not just, I, not just broken, but broke. J.D. Flynn's article. Yeah. And yeah, it's, he's it's, a good friend. It's, I read uh, the article. Yeah, it's catching a lot of uh, press. And so we want to, um, just talk about, okay, if the, the church is broke and uh, the funds are running out, well, how would you raise funds? How would you raise givers? How, how do you do that in a church? That's um, awesome. So uh, we look forward to talking about that next week. Church money. Church money. Yep. All right. God bless everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.